Hello, and welcome to my podcast, The New Age of Real Estate. My name is Curtis Jacobs. Today's topic, it's going to be fun. It's a little different from what we normally do. Um, it's what I like to call a sleeper factor to real estate. So basically what that means is you're not really going to think about it when you're making a real estate investment or any decision, but maybe you should. And today we're going to try to figure that out. Um, I have today with me a very smart man. He knows everything MBA related. Mr. Spencer Weber. How are you doing today, man? Curtis, I'm doing great. Um, this is probably the first time we have talked um, in an extended manner and probably about a year, maybe yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. Um, so it's, it's great to just talk to you again. And then on top of that, um, you know, discuss something that we both have a really strong passion for, you know, me with the MBA and you with real estate. And like we'll discuss today, there's a real intersection to those two things. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. Those two things together. And that's what we're talking about today, how the MBA can influence real estate. So um, actually, before we begin, I do want to preface something that what we're talking about today um, like I said, is a sleeper factor. Um, there are many factors that influence real estate. So, you know, just deciding to buy a home or sell a home or anything in real estate just based on, you know, the MBA is a little ridiculous. So you really need to do your research when buying and selling real estate. You know, there's, um, I like to separate it into two groups, tangible and intangibles factors. Tangible can be like, you know, what, how good are the schools nearby or the age of the home, you know, something like that. And intangibles, something like um, how good the economy is at the moment or uh, the air pollution. That one's becoming big because people are um, talking about the economy, excuse me, not, not the economy, talking about the environment more. So yeah, just consult with your professional, your local professional, do your research, do your due diligence, and you'll be all right. So the first thing, relocating teams. Um, this has happened a few times recently in the NBA. Spencer, why, why do teams relocate? Well, there's a, a, a ton of different factors and reasons um, for a franchise in the NBA relocating. But as of recent, with the Clippers, um, the owner was forced out to a racial slur so they kind of pushed him out of the league and he was forced to sell the team, which is about like $3 billion. Um, Wait, did you say the Clippers? The, yeah, the Los Angeles Clippers were most recently just sold. They weren't, uh, they weren't, this isn't, this isn't, you know, a new expansion team or to a new market, but just sold. So it could, you know, not be a team moving or relocating. Sorry, was that what you said? You said relocating teams. Relocating. But I, I didn't know yeah. that about the Clippers. That's weird. Yeah, but relocating teams, we've seen, you know, probably the most recent I think about is Brooklyn Nets from the New Jersey Nets. Um, but before then, we had the Seattle Supersonics, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but yeah, the, the main reasons for those two teams were just that owner, new ownership groups are interested in purchasing these teams because it's so profitable, right? Um, and de depending on the location where the team is and stuff, um, teams look to bring them to bigger markets, but sometimes even smaller markets if that market is tend to be a more growing market, right? Because some market could be a, ten, uh, a stagnant market, 
like we saw with Seattle before it hit this whole tech boom with Amazon. Now it's like a whole tech hub. So now they're actually trying to get a team back in Seattle. So there's a ton of um, different factors that can influence a team moving. But actually what we're going to see, what we're going to see soon, not to get on a crazy tangent, but um, is uh, the NBA is going to be looking to add more teams, right? So for the past two decades, the NBA has had 30 NBA teams, but they're going to be looking to add one or two teams. Well, definitely two because they can't make it an odd number, but they're going to be looking to add two teams in the near future. My prediction is probably about the next 10 to 15 years, whether that's Las Vegas, back to Seattle, a new team, Mexico City. Um, there's a lot of options, even Kansas City. So we're going to see, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. There's a lot of different factors that affect, you know, where expansion teams go and why teams are sold and moved elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd love to see a Las Vegas team. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, the Las Vegas teams have been doing uh, really good, like the Las Vegas Knights, the, the hockey team, so those who follow the NHL, um, super profitable. Um, the Oakland Raiders were just moved out to Las Vegas. They got that big yeah, Star yeah. Wars-looking stadium, Las Vegas Raiders. So they're all doing really good, and it's a, it's a growing sports city or um, destination. So I think there will be an NBA team in the near future. I don't know if it will be the next one or what, but I think there definitely will be. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we're going to go over some of the past relocating teams now to see, you know, maybe if that Las Vegas team does come, if that would be a good investment. So um, the first team I want to talk about, like you said, is the Brooklyn Nets. Do you know what year they moved? Uh, I want to say it was around 2012, maybe 2013. Okay, 2012, 2013. Yeah. Um, because there was a, there was a Russian owner. Um, that came over and he was, he wanted to buy the team, but um, he didn't want it to be located in um, New Jersey where it was just because the market's a little smaller and there's a few other uh, factors that went into it. I think he had some other business ventures already located in Brooklyn. Gotcha. So it was going to be hand in hand. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I do think it, I looked it up. I think it is 2012 and most of Brooklyn, uh, about 70% of it is renters. So that equals, let's say back in 2012, that's about 2 million people that are renting in the Brooklyn area. And the statistic that I want to throw at you is that before the Brooklyn Nets became the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn's rent for a studio apartment was around $1,700. Now that, that's a crazy amount to think about, especially for you and I, we live in Orlando. But um, yeah, yeah. But after the Brooklyn Nets came, rents went up in one year, two hundred dollars. Right. It, it, it's insane to think about how a sports team. I'm sure you know there's other factors to it, which we'll you know we'll dive a little bit into. But a main thing being a new sports team coming can influence two hundred dollars worth of rent. Like like if if we were um. Like we're renting right now in Orlando, the average rent for a studio is around a thousand, maybe eleven hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. If your landlord was just, you know, flat out and said, "Hey, next year your rent it's going to be thirteen hundred. Like that'd be insane. You know, no one would pay that. Definitely. Yeah. But there was a spark in Brooklyn. Um. What's uh what's the name? Uh, Manhattan. Manhattan is right next to Brooklyn, and people started to move from Manhattan to Brooklyn because it was a cheaper option. And I really think 
that year is what the, the Brooklyn Nets moving that year was that extra push that people needed to actually decide to move out to Brooklyn. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to tag along on that, um, people, people tend to forget that sports franchises, not only do they bring um, with them a lot of revenue from, you know, the team and new jobs and stuff, but that you got to think about not just basketball, we're talking Brooklyn Nets, that arena was host to concerts, was a host to all sorts of different events. So it's, it's really just bringing a whole different, um, a whole different strand of entertainment with it. So, you know, Brooklyn Nets comes in, they build a huge arena, they're hosting these big concerts. Oh, great. Now this guy wants to open Jim sub shop. Well, Jim sub shop now is going to, his rent's going to go up because it's right next to the stadium because there's going to be hundred times the amount of customers coming there to buy a sub before the game, you know, exactly. so it, it, it all adds up in the surrounding area around it. It goes up with it because now they're cleaning up the streets and raking in all this money from parking, et cetera. Exactly. It's like, it's like a domino effect. You, exactly. you create, a, create a few jobs, or maybe not a few jobs, let's say a few hundred jobs at the yeah. arena, and it's just domino effect. The restaurants, the bars, the guy selling yep. a hot dog outside the, rest, outside the, the stadium, everyone is getting yep. jobs. 100%. Yeah, it's like people don't, people don't realize it. I mean, I know you said hundreds, and it, it, it's somewhere in there, but in my opinion, you know, it, it's bigger than that because those people that are, let's say, you know, I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, right? And I, I lived in uh, Manhattan, right? And there wasn't, I wasn't a huge Knicks fan. I always been a New Jersey Nets fan. Well, boom, they moved to Brooklyn. Now I look at that and I go, hold on one second. Do I want to live in Manhattan where it's this crazy amount of traffic? And up until like a couple of years ago, it was the streets were filled, filled with homeless people. It wasn't the cleanest place, blah, blah, blah. The air pollution like you were getting into. Why would I live here where it's so condensed and it's so dirty and not cleaned up? instead of just moving to Brooklyn over there where everything is brand new, they just built it, the population density is significantly less. So there's, there's a lot of different factors, but the, the sports franchise definitely have a huge positive influence. Absolutely. I think everything you just said is what went through everybody's head that did that move from uh, Manhattan to Brooklyn. Definitely. And businesses too, businesses look at it, you know, they go, oh, there's this new sports franchise over here, all these new people, all this new money. Um, because people don't realize this, but when sports teams are bought and there's new teams and expansion teams, there's not just one owner, right? It's a, it's a whole group of investors that buy that team because these teams now, like, you know, back in 2008 or 2007, 2007, when the Seattle Supersonics were sold, it was like $350 million, I think off the top of my head, wow. um, they were sold for. But yeah, you go, wow, now, but the Clippers who were just sold were sold for $3 billion. So this is only, you know, 13 years later, and, it, and the price went from $350 million of an NBA team to $3 billion. So these teams are so expensive, and the groups that are investing in them, they usually have businesses right around the arena. So there's so much money coming in besides just the actual sports franchise. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned the Supersonics, because that's what I want to get into next, uh, get into right now. It Honestly, you, you sent me an article article early today. I think it was from... Um, it was a paper from the West Virginia University. Is that sound right? Yeah, it was a research paper from the College of Business and Economics at the University of West Virginia. And just to give them a little credit, the authors were Brad Humphrey and Adam Novak, who are both very, very smart professors at the University of West Virginia. Gotcha, gotcha. And my first reaction when you sent this was, okay, this is 30 pages long. <laughs> but, but the second thing... Um, I thought it was what it really is a really great article 
And it, it takes a different perspective than what we just talked about in Brooklyn. Because uh, yeah. they're leaving, you know, they're not, they're not building a new stadium. They're, it's basically, they're kicked out of Seattle. They went to Oklahoma. Yep. And this article explains it so well. Although they didn't mention, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, they moved in 2008? Yeah, they, they were forced to move in 2008 to Supersonics. But the arena that they played in, Key Arena, not to get on a tangent, but they stayed in Seattle and they were still host to, you know, concerts and other events that we were discussing. But yeah, go ahead. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, it was 2008 and they didn't mention the market crash, which is yep. such a big factor in real estate, as you know, because, um, you know, real estate is what caused the 2008 crash from, you know, selling mortgages that they couldn't afford, people couldn't afford Definitely. this, that. So um it was a big ordeal and the, the housing market really took a tank. Yep. But there's one thing about Seattle that did not tank. And it was the condos that lived. Um, I think it was a half a mile or maybe one mile radius yep. of the, um, the, of their arena in, in Seattle. Yep. And I found this really interesting. It actually, the appreciation, what, the home value increased over time. Appreciation went yep. up. It went up, and yeah, I really had to think about this because how could they go up during a recession? And right. They said it's because there's not a lot of traffic anymore, not mm -hmm. large crowds, noise, and trash. Right. So and, it had the adverse effect. People people were more willing to live in a place, even though the sports franchise was living. Because of the fact that it was going to be, you know, less people, less populated. People like that. They like to be quieter. Exactly. Exactly. It, it probably really, um, excuse me, it probably really helped the community. And those people living there were probably so excited that that arena was not as um, big anymore. I, I know you said they had concerts and stuff, but right. you know, not a national team playing a few nights a week. Exactly. That's that's the biggest factor because those concerts, you know, maybe two or three a month. Um, but those when you you got to remember Key Arena. For those who don't know, they weren't just hosted the Seattle SuperSonics. They were also hosted the Seattle Storm, which is the the WNBA team back then, two thousand seven. Um, so there was there was probably if you if you really look at it, I don't have it in front of me, but there was probably at least a game or an event taking place there every single other day, every other day. By Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, there was a, if you just look at the percentages, there was probably some event taking place in there. And the traffic there was probably insane. Yeah, it, it seems nice. But if you're living, you know, across the street and every night there's, you know, big parties, trash outside your condo every day, it's, yep. you really see the downside of it. Yep, 100%. And just to give a little more on that before um, you move on to the next topic, because I thought that was really interesting you brought that up because I read that too the negative facts of traffic noise thing, then one of the main findings from this uh, research paper was that the, the facility itself, just the arena being there, the entertainment being there and the surrounding bars being around and bringing in the nightlife was actually more vital to the surrounding real estate market. Like you're saying how the condos went up than the actual sports franchise. And this was a class, this was a perfect case study because it was probably one of the first times ever that, uh, arena or stadium or the uh, the event center or the facility where it was taking place was still you know was still up in business when the when the sports franchise left right so for example the Miami Heat played AAA in down Miami 
if Miami Heat leave that arena, it's such a big arena and it's so vital to the community on there, it's probably still going to be there. So Miami Heat would never leave there, but I'm giving people an example. Yeah. But if you go to a place like Oklahoma City in Oklahoma, if, if the Thunder move and they go back to Seattle, which they've been talking about, it might happen, um, more than likely, I think it's called the Chesapeake Arena, more than likely that place is going out of business, right? Because 90% of the people that live in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that are in that you know, half a mile radius, they're probably working at the arena, right? So if yeah. that team's out of business, everyone working there is out of business. It's not like these other big city, Miami, Seattle, uh, Las Vegas, California, all those. It's very different. Absolutely. I um I actually tried to do some research on OKC Stadium and you know look up basically what we're talking about now and they they did pretty well during the market crash too because at the same time they were you know starting their franchise there and yeah yeah it, it, although the the um the market at the time was a little skewed because of yeah. the market crash so it's hard to tell. So we're not going to take a deep dive into the OKCs because it's hard to tell. 2008, you know, you can't really depend on any of the statistics from that year. Definitely. Just to throw one little thing in there, though, I did find in my, in my research, one of my findings were um, that the suburbs of Oklahoma City um, in Oklahoma, the suburbs of surrounding cities, um, they reflected the, the, um, the addition of the uh, thunder coming in actually only had a positive effect on the suburbs rather than a negative because, and the reason I say that is, is the actual Oklahoma City, Oklahoma found that more people were moving out than moving in with the addition of uh, Chesapeake Arena. And like you said, that might be due to the market crash, but also you have to factor in, there was a sports franchise. It was a small, it wasn't a small city, but uh, population density wise, it was a lot, lot less noisy and a lot less traffic without that sports franchise. That sports franchise came in, everyone hightailed out of there and went to the suburbs where it was a much quieter and they could build a family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, OKC is probably um, a very different place in Orlando. And when they hear, you know, a <laughs> big town NBA team coming, they probably want to get out of there. Yeah, definitely. But um, one thing that I want to take away from that article we both read is, um, of course, like I said, like I prefaced, do your research, can, um, think of all the factors but if you are making an investment, say in Orlando and say, the, say you know, um, you want to buy a condo um, near the stadium, if, if all of a sudden Orlando Magic leave, it might be a good idea to grab some of the um, condos or some of the townhomes, some of the homes that are nearby, maybe like say on Mercy Drive where it's like a poor area. Um, according to, you know, Seattle, they, they started you know, really rising. I think um, after Seattle left, it was almost a 7% appreciation. And this was, mm -hmm. you know, during the crash. So that might be a good investment to look into. Uh, and on the opposite side, if, if sports teams are coming in, like say Brooklyn, um, maybe don't buy a condo nearby, but maybe buy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a house in the suburbs that, um, you know, are a little bit out further than, um, you know, the condos. Yeah, and just to tag along to that, I'm not, I'm not crazy educated from the real estate side, but for those of you that have been down to the Miami Marlins Stadium, um, it's really in like Hialeah, um, it's, it's not very nice around there, right? Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty worn down, and they don't keep it up, and you know, a lot of people, they have the parking sign, and it's parking in their, back, uh, in their backyard, and you might come back, and your rooms might not be there. So 
you just you got to factor that in that um, not all the majority of these sports franchises, the reason why they're in such poor neighborhoods is because it was the cheapest property. Yeah. So don't base where you're buying property around these sports franchises because they're not always in the great um, geographical location. Exactly. It also didn't help that the Marlins were the <laughs> worst team ever. And yeah, they were. They, um, if anyone follows baseball, I don't at all. And I know one thing is they had this amazing guy. I think his name was Aaron, Aaron Judge. Is that his name? And they like sent him away to no, New York. No, no, Stanton, John Carlos Stanton. But oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's like whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about our next topic. Um, um, Miami brought in LeBron in 2012. Does that sound about right? Yes, most. It was the 2011 off season. Um, okay. Yeah, they brought in LeBron James. Chris Bosh, people can't forget about Chris Bosh. He was a he was a household name back then too. He was yeah. a superstar, All NBA player. Um, and they retained you know the the local hero Dwayne Wade. So they had a quite a big off season in terms of basketball, which I know you're going to get into. Had quite a big effect on the real estate market in Miami. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people people don't realize that you bring in someone like LeBron James, and if you're not a fan of basketball. You probably don't know much about LeBron James other than, you know, that he's, you know, one of the greats is probably what all you're hearing. But he is debatably, you know, one of the best or if not the best player of all time, debatably. So when you bring someone like that into um, a franchise, people get excited. And uh, Spencer, you were with me. We were both living in South Florida at the time. It's just the whole community is just wrapped around this one guy. And it's really anyone could what anyone um, uh, could talk about at the time. It was just amazing. Yeah, chess players, uh, domino players, uh, uh, water polo athletes, they were all coming out of the woodworks wearing Miami Heat t-shirts. So it definitely had a a transcending effect on the community. And we didn't didn't live very close, not to get into specifically, but we didn't live in Miami. And we were, you know, a few counties above north. So imagine if you were in a high school in Miami, I'm guessing that if you weren't wearing a Miami t-shirt, you were either going to get a couple, a uh, couple kidney shots on the way home or something, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, those jerseys, everyone were, you're absolutely right. And that, and that is a really big thing that people don't think about. Millions of dollars go into merchandise sales mm-hmm. a year, especially LeBron James. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. Um, so merchandise, merchandise sales, um, it's just one of a few things that attributed to kind of the rise of the um, Miami. Another thing could be, you know, ticket sales were on the rise. Um, let's see what else here. TV revenue. Um, it was really everything, you know, just downtown Miami in general developed so much just from one person. Yep. And, for, and from a financial perspective, just to give numbers, not get back to the sports side, but LeBron James is a billion dollar athlete. He signed a billion dollar lifetime contract with Nike. So, I mean, that, that is enough said there. He was, he was making them so much. I mean, I could talk from personal experience. I don't have percentages and finances in front of me from the real estate side, but back in 2008, 2007, when the heat were kind of from their downturn of the 2006 NBA championship, you could probably get a ticket there, you know, mid-level, 100 section, for probably 40 bucks. 
When yeah. LeBron came to, when LeBron came to town in 2001, 2012, you were getting lower bowl for less than 250 bucks. And no matter <laughs> if they were playing the Charlotte Bobcats, the worst it didn't matter. They they were they were such a huge hit down. They were actually like the Beatles in Miami. It was crazy. That's that is a great um, comparison. They literally were the three NBA Beatles. Yeah, it was it was a wild time. All right, this is just about everything. But before we go, I do want to talk to you, Spencer, about this season. You know, this is where it's not not going to be related to real estate. This is off topic, but I do want to take get your take. What is the team that um, you know might have got had some great pickups this year? that you think are really going to make it far? Um, you know, it's tough on the NBA. People, people, especially, you know, the, the Twitter junkies and stuff of that nature, they tend to get a little overzealous, um, overexcited about teams that make big moves in the offseason. Um, for me, you know, I, I'm more of a consistency guy. You know, there's a consistent product there, much like in real estate. You know, you want a consistent realtor. You want a consistent franchise, a consistent coach consistent uh, um, system that's proven to be successful. And for that reason, I think the LA Lakers are going to win about 60 games this year. Now that might not sound, that's not going to sound like a hot take to some of the casuals out there, but you got to understand that this season's only 72 games, a little shrink because of uh, the COVID and just the new, um, new landscape of the NBA. They needed a, cut down on travel and stuff. So 72 games is the entire season compared to 82, which it used to be. So, and that's just for this season. Hopefully next season we get back to the normal thing. But that means that leaves the Lakers with 60 wins and 12 losses, which would be one of top three or top four best records of all time in the NBA. I think they're that good this season. Um, So I'm very excited to just watch NBA basketball. But yeah, I think, the Lakers are going to be good. And if you guys want to hear a little bit more about, you know, NBA basketball and stuff, you guys check out my YouTube channel, the call to Secaucus. I got to get on the ball there in terms of pushing out some more content, but yeah, talk a little NBA hoops, college hoops. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely, I'm going to link that in the description for anyone that wants to go check that out. Um, this, if you want to know anything basketball related, this is the guy. So Spencer, I don't Weber. Know about all that. Oh, come uh, on. <laughs> well yeah i appreciate you being here spencer uh thank you for taking time out of your day to be here and um again my name is curtis jacobs this is the new age of real estate podcast thank you for being here bye